This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. This is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are taking a look back at the never-ending story to see if our nostalgia is warranted. And by our nostalgia, I'm pretty sure I mean Sarah's nostalgia. Mark's seen it. I, Mark, did you see this before? Oh, yes. All right. Everybody except my nostalgia, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into log form, let's do our 60-second synopsis. So, Sarah, you brought this film forward. Yes. Are you prepared? Yeah, I was going to attempt to pronounce this book in German, but guys, you don't want me to try to pronounce German. It's like... Oh, you're mistaken. I definitely, definitely do. Die un endlich geschichte. Wow, it sounds like she's a native speaker, doesn't it, folks? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. Germans are they have really long words. Flawless German. <laughs> Flawless German. Anyway. All right. I've got a timer ready. I'm gonna give you a countdown here. And in three, two, one, go. We might our hero, Bastion, who is being whose mother has died recently and is having trouble with his relationship with his father. He is also getting bullied at school. While running away from the bullies one time, he goes into this weird old bookstore where an old man introduces him to a weird book he steals it takes it with him to school and when trying to run away from his um (laughs) stop it his math class that he's late for he hides in the attic and starts reading the book the book takes place in fantasia where the world is being destroyed by something called the nothing atreyu the warrior is tasked by the childlike empress to figure out what's causing the nothing and save the world Throughout all these ventures, it turns out a tray you cannot save the world. The only thing that can do that is a human child who's beyond the boundaries of Fantasia, which turns out to be Bastion reading the story. Bastion eventually realizes he can control the story, gives a childlike empress a new name, and saves the world, and then rides around on a luck dragon. The end. Pretty good. Three, two, one. There we go. Well done. You started off a little slow. I was worried. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> got in there by the end. Just sped through to the ending. He's holding the phone, and, and the way you were holding it on my screen, it just looked like it was getting closer and closer. And closer. <laughs> that, was, that was his countdown. It was on purpose. Because <laughs> I wasn't watching it, because I, I can't pay attention to that, something for a full that's minute. That's why I just stopped and said, stop it, because it was stressing me out. <laughs> I thought Mark was making faces. I, well, I was, but... <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, so let's get into long form. What did you guys see as adults that you may have missed as child? Which for me is child. literally everything. Um, it, so there were a lot of things actually that I didn't remember about it. I think the first time I ever saw this movie was actually while I was uh, being babysat by someone one time. Mm-hmm. And there was probably a lot of other things going on. So I don't remember as much as I thought I did. But... Um, so specific, I, yeah, I, I'll, yeah. You go well, and I'll talk about specific movie, I was things. Very, very young. So I, I watched mm-hmm. this a lot as a child. In middle school, I read the book. I still have a copy of it somewhere. Um, 
And then the last time I've seen this as an adult was my freshman year of college, um, Labor Day weekend. We had a movie night and watched this at like three in the morning. Yes. So, um, so no, this but, is an anniversary for you. Yes. Uh, and now our audience knows how long it takes us to get an episode out. Um, yeah, it'll be up in a lot of week. I got to apologize. This is not coming out on our normal second Wednesday of a month. We had an issue and couldn't record until now. Anyway, but my thing, I don't think I ever, like, I knew the theme song, but as an adult, like, lots of the plot stuff I remember, I don't remember the theme song quite as much. And that is a great 80s fantasy movie theme song. It is Oh, good. it's the best. Because it, it tells you exactly what you're in for. It repeats the title of the mm. film several it's, times. It's, like, very fantasy-seeming, but it's got, like, that 80s techno beat in the background. Right. It is it never is ending story. story. It is, it is yeah, great. It's great. Well, and if if you had seen the movie as a kid, that would be the one song out of the whole movie that you would remember <laughs> watching it again as an adult. Oh, so. there's a pretty great montage towards the end uh, where Atreyu takes off on Falcor and it just it turns into like a rock music video. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. But I want to talk about the beginning of this film because the intro credits I came to appreciate as the film went on because it's it's this music over like this weird colored clouds, which I called the Weather Channel's greatest hits. <laughs> um, it is a little bit of a screensaver going on. Yeah. Yeah. Though I didn't understand, it, and I came to appreciate this is the nothing. Technically, and it's I not really, the nothing. It's not the nothing? It is a sign of the nothing, but the okay. nothing itself is formless. That's Fair why enough. it's nothing. But I, I came to appreciate yes. this film because it is an a atypical film in that there's not a main villain that is going against our hero. The world is collapsing on its own. So it's it's like humans versus nature. They are fighting to survive and to set the world right, as opposed to like an evil wizard that's trying to destroy the world. Um, I'd like to say, because <laughs> I don't think they ever say it in the movie, but Bastion's full name in the book is Bastion Balthasar Bucks. And I think that's great. Oh, that's actually great because it ties into something Balthazar. else. I didn't look at his name, but it ties into something else. So that's Balthazar. good. Balthazar. I've heard that name before. I mean, and maybe it's in the reference that Mark is trying to make that we will hear later. Um, anyway, but I also want to... But the, the beginning is very, very human. And I can't remember if they... It's been a while since I've read the book. And I don't know how it goes in the book. But the movies make it where each sort of thing... Whatever Bastion is dealing with in his life in the world world is kind of mirrored in the book. And they do it in the second one as well, which I will make us watch at some point. We will never watch the third one. It is an <laughs> abomination. Um, <laughs> I, and I had not noticed that, obviously, as a kid either, because yeah. right. back then it was like, oh, this is just a cool movie that I'm watching. So, But but watching it now, I definitely saw like how they parallel the stories kind of went with each other. But... I had forgotten the whole, like, the beginning of the thing where mm -hmm. the kid was all depressed and how terrible his life was because his mom was dead. It doesn't say how recently dead. that happened. Right. It does suggest that it it's somewhat recently still painful, but long enough that the dad has gotten over it and well, feels like the kid needs to buck up and do the same. I don't same. think the dad's gotten over it. There, There's several other movies of this time period in, like, family movies where... And this doesn't go into it, and I wish they... I don't think he deals with the father again until the second one when everyone's changed characters. But really, more what the father's doing is 
he's left without a wife. He isn't normally the one taking care of the kids. And it's it's long enough that he's not crying all the time, but he still has the father hasn't gotten to the point where he really knows how to be a single parent yet. So his way yeah. of dealing this is <laughs> we're gonna ignore it and move on with life. He's pretty much not a parent in this movie. Yeah. Well, I, I, he's not, kind of the worst. He's not, um, I would say he's not anywhere close to being the worst. He's just dealing with things the same day Bastion is. He still makes sure Bastion's fed, makes sure he's not failing his classes, did things he, like that. Yeah, because he's like, you're getting bad grades on math. But Bastion was that. making need... his own breakfast when we yeah, found Bastion him. Bastion is eating cereal. He was already no, eating it when his father came down and said good morning. And then the father remember... just says, make sure you're on time to no, school. And he walks away. No, the father opens the jar. Remember? Oh, the fa- that's oh, right. The father. Well. So whenever Bastion is the eating. The service of every dad of opening the jar <laughs> so for his So whatever Bastion is eating involves jam. So, so, so while we're talking about this. Something that I noticed, which has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Did you see what what is Father even drinking in the background? It's he pours juice like with eggs. orange juice and then he cracks some eggs into it and blends it together and drinks it. And I <laughs> oh, a, I did not see. I this. looked oh, this up. Apparently, diet? it's a thing that people do, but I have what? never heard of this before. Oh yeah, I definitely so. they just drink raw eggs. No, there was yeah. orange juice too. But oh yeah. right, it's like <laughs> but, a protein thing. But the egg is raw in the orange. Juice yes, is yes. Boy. and then they. Put Put it in the blender. Ooh. I don't. And I, make it I, like I, a weird protein drink. I guess. Yeah, you get your vitamins and your protein at the same time. I guess, but it sounds disgusting to me. So I thought it was a thing in like the eighties and nineties where it's yeah. like I gotta I gotta get pr- gains and get protein. So well, I mean, Rocky did egg. it too with yeah. just yeah, but eggs. Rocky but... just had the eggs and he drank it raw. I'm pretty sure. Mm, like oh, no, no spinning in a yes, 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 but no spinning in a blender is. Well, you don't want just, like, an entire egg just as a weird, like, this weird giant boba in the bottom of your orange juice. That is Mm. not the new bubble tea. (laughs) No, and I gotta tell you, I already hate bobas. This is just making Uh, bobas worse. Um, Anyway, I would still say the dad, I think the dad being absentee is just a sign of how, of them trying to portray how soon it's been since the mother died. And that's how the father's doing it with being, like, we're gonna buck up and put on a straight face and... And leave our crying to our bedrooms, which you see in a, in other like kids movies. And normally you come to the end scene and they're like, we need to talk about our feelings. But that scene never shows up. Right. I think. And that's that's where I get the movie didn't work for me is that the dad doesn't have a bookend. He is presented as a father who doesn't understand but, his son and is trying to tell the son, don't feel things, get past it, do your work. And then we never see the other side. This of that. is because. And it's a weird thing about this movie, and I, I said something about Offthane. This movie is half of the story. It's not supposed to stop there, and the ending is not supposed to happen like that. That's not how it ends <laughs> in the book. <laughs> that's good, because that's something I was going to mention later. But You mean I, he's not supposed to get everything he's ever wished for? No. I, I no. don't understand how yes that no. suddenly becomes part of the real world, either, was my question. Because he wishes it to be, hmm. Mark. M- and we'll talk about, well, I mean, it'll probably come up again. The yeah. ending is really, I think, the weakest part. And I think it's because, well, we don't know if we're getting the sequel yet to finish off the rest of the book. How do we wrap this up when this is a midpoint in a book? And really, it doesn't resolve. And oh, that's well, probably we'll- how the studio uh, went with it. Because normally how things work in film, you get your first film. If that does well, they approve two more sequels. And, and especially considering this isn't an American movie. This was not made by American film studios. This is a German movie. And yes, because I mean, it was a German book. It's a German director, German movie studio. And I looked it up and it was at the time 
the most expensive movie that got made that was not coming from the U.S. or Russia. And so this was for what was this the time of this. It split Germany, so um, Germany wasn't known for making movies at the time. I mean, oh. they weren't a whole country again yet. Um, and so that's I think it was like a lot of money and a lot of probably risk coming from a non-American studio to do this big fantasy movie. So they probably had no idea if they were going to get a sequel. And I find that very surprising because of all the actors in the mm-hmm. film, there's no accents whatsoever. Well, um, well, it's it's a lot of American actors, especially like Bastion mm-hmm. and um, Atreyu are both American actors. Some of the other ones that are German, either they kind of just do this little like slightly Britishy fantasy accent. That's a thing. And a couple characters are dubbed. Um, okay. One is very was very very obvious to me, which was dubbed. Um, Falcor. Well, yes. um, or no, the, the, um, the rock biter no well yes no the guy riding the snail okay he was obviously yes. dumb yeah uh, which is fine because it didn't show up much in the film no. which that was another kind of problem I had because when he starts the story we see these three people meeting uh, to talk about the nothing to go talk to the emperor or empress uh, to figure out how to fix the world yeah. and we don't really follow these three characters, which I was expecting to, because they just go to the tower, and then we're at the tower, we find Atreyu, and we just follow Atreyu for the well, rest of the I film. Well, I think the reason it has to happen like that is because you cannot... It's a Atreyu story, really. Atreyu's a yeah. bigger character than Bastion is. But you cannot reveal who Atreyu is until you get to the tower. Yeah, right. I guess it'd someone... be weird to just start at the tower without having the people explain first what the nothing is and what's happening. And so they're kind of a contingent from each area of the world going mm-hmm. on this pilgrimage to the tower. And then you see, oh, yes, lots more people are also here already to do the same task. But right. I, I think and it's, it's, really... it's a shame because these characters are well designed mm-hmm. and they look interesting I like and I want to learn snail. more about them. I like the cat snail. So whoever's oh, listening, do a prequel to this and focus yes. on those three. Three just for Carl. Because um, will... <laughs> to explain to our listeners what these people look like, the person riding the snail, I said, was a cross between Willy Wonka and an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> uh, there's another guy who's kind of a goblin slash Ferengi who uh, flies He's on a, a bat. He's a hobnob. Uh, and then there's the giant troll guy who is <laughs> riding a, a wonderful unicycle that is destroying everything troll. in its path. He's what made out of stone. He's like sure, a... but to give an idea, he looks like a troll, like a giant Harry Potter like troll. troll. I would say if he looks like anything, it's like if you had tree beard, a giant. but instead of tree beard being made out of a tree, he's made out of a mountain. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. Tree beard may come up again later. Um, uh Anyway, I love Rockbiter. Um, yeah. Anyway, so talking about how we're never going to get to My the third. No, no uh, not we're yet. not getting to that yet. Um, <laughs> but in talking about why we will never get to the third movie and how it is an abomination. So in this mm. one, he's riding a little like s- scooter bike thing, right? Yeah. That is just like it's like a a big rock with like some wood pieces through it. In the third movie, that has been upgraded to a full-out motorcycle, and yeah. when Rockbiter shows up, it starts playing, I think, Bad to the Bone. <laughs> <laughs> and that tells you how far the third movie skewed from the first two. Gosh. You think they would go with a song with a rock pun in the title, at the very least. Oh, you would think they like, would. Like, <laughs> rock you like a hurricane. 
Uh, no, no weird rock music in my fantasy movie. <laughs> also, like, his entire plot in the third one is just like, I got married, and now I'm living this, like, terrible sitcom where me and my wife argue all the time, but my wife is definitely voiced by a male. <laughs> and it's like, So what? wait, his life becomes like Roseanne? Yeah, kind of for the rock biter, and I'm like, where did Or no, better, he, he's become married dinosaurs. With children. I was like, where Oh, dinosaurs I... works too. German yeah. fantasy book go. <laughs> uh, they gave up on it because the money ran oh, out probably so if you were talking about um bastion's not liking bastion's father yeah i will tell you who actually is the worst adult in this movie the old every, man in the bookstore no oh. i like him no every adult standing on the street when bastion's getting yes down by the bullies. what was up with that <laughs> yeah no one tries to stop this little like 10-year-old child from being thrown in a dumpster. No one. Oh, oh, well, okay. You mean the extras in this film are not messing with the principles in a major plot point? But, like, no this one This is even, what you're like, saying? No one even says, hey, kids, cut that or anything. They just kind of, like, well, go on with to, to be fair, Bastion is being chased. He gets chased down an alley where nobody is. No. And he gets thrown in a, a no, dumpster no. that is he apparently will... full of hay. That dumpster, There's a lot of hay in this dumpster. That so dumpster is I... right at the edge of the alley. And they literally knock someone over to get into that alley. So someone's standing right there and just being like, no, that seems normal. That's fine. (laughs) So having never read the book. children, Sarah. Sarah, you said that this takes place like in the middle of the book, kind of. Did they ever establish somewhere what these bullies were or that, that? Because it seems like this is something that has been going on for a while. And they keep calling him the weirdo as if he is different from everyone somehow. But I don't. Is that just because, just because, or or were they something before that in the book? So the movie goes from the beginning of the book to literally halfway through. In the book, they're bullies from school and they're picking on him because in the book, Bastion's fat. Oh, Oh, well, that makes it harder to lift him into a dumpster. Certainly that explains it better. I would say even in this film, he's weird because he is reserved and bookish. Yeah. And he's not athletic. And, and that's what he, I got from it in the movie, but it was I just didn't know if the bullies had a background. The difference between horses and unicorns. What? Yeah, his Sorry. father's like, you were drawing horses, and he's like, it was a unicorn. <laughs> Do you not remember this? Yeah, it was I the don't. very beginning in the kitchen. Oh, okay. That's right. He draws unicorns. Just, it's like a million degrees in my room. I'm turning so, my hair on. Yeah. So there. what I... Sarah's gone. Make fun of her quick. Woo! Uh, I have nothing. Uh, Me neither. The nothing. I Uh, what I don't remember. uh, Um. So so he his dad talks to him about oh your teacher says you've been showing up late and not turning in your homework, and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to decide if that is related to again back to the mother or if that's just him being a terrible student in general. So my interpretation of that is that. Because of the death of his mother, he is trying to live his life through the fantasy books that he loves to read. And so he's not paying attention to the real world. He is living in this fantasy world where everything's okay at the end of the book. Good. Because that's exactly what I was thinking. But (laughs) I wanted to get everyone else's opinion. Sarah? No, the book literally exists. It's a literal book. Like. No, what? the never ending. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> no, but you're talking about the fantasy world. Like No, no, no. Oh. We're talking about why is Bastion a bad is oh. he a bad student? Yeah, but then you went or... into he's living out this fantasy world where everything comes true, which goes back to the never ending, which it's not. Right, right. I was saying he is 
finding uh, refuge in literature and not dealing with his mother's death. I would say it's half of that, and I think half of the bullies, because it seems like that's part of the reason he keeps coming to math late, is because mm. they keep shoving him in a dumpster. Luckily, the one dumpster that is only filled with newspaper and not food, so All right, good fair. for them. Maybe it was newspaper and not hay, but no, like they come out, like, they got strings of stuff all it, over it's them. It's shredded paper, is what it looks like. Like, maybe they threw him into the dumpster behind the accounting office. I don't <laughs> know. Well, maybe this is where the book place disposes of books, and it needs to shred them I for some reason. <laughs> I know. Uh, Let's talk about this book place yeah. because this old man is terrible at business. Yeah, I really don't remember him being such a jerk when we when I watched this before. But he's like, "Oh, you're a kid. You don't like books. Get out of my store." So in my day, I video think, games were called books. Okay, so I think part of this is, and it's not explained in the movie, and it is a thing in the book. It is implied that he is the keeper of the never-ending story, and that he used to be. In the situation where Bastion is, and eventually Bastion will be in the situation he's in. And so what he's kind of doing is trying to judge, is this the person the book should go to? Is, I think. And so, I, and his test is to reverse psychology Bastion into stealing the book. That's what yes. I always wondered, because when he goes to answer the phone, Bastion takes the book from him, and he looks out the window and notices that it's gone. Mm-hmm. So and it it looks like he's not upset about it like no. he was expecting. No, he it to wanted happen. Bastion to have the yes. book, but he couldn't give Bastion the book even though Bastion wanted the book. So he had to keep telling him, "No, you don't want this because it's bad for you. It will change your life." So this is why I think he's a bad businessman because Bastion is interested in this book. Bastion would buy this book, but instead he's he just reverse psychologizes the kid into stealing it and gets no money for it. Well, he, okay. Because he's not trying to sell that book. He is the keeper of the special book meant to pass it on to some person. You can't but, sell your magic book. Fine. But he did not want to sell Bastion any book because well, he was a child. Another thing, and I will preface, I'm going to preface this now in the middle of my thing instead of beginning normally. <laughs> it has enough. been a good 15 years since I've read this book, but Fair. I'm pretty sure the bookstore disappears at one point. I think at one point Bastion tries to go back to the bookstore and it's gone. Yes, so that's it's not what it a felt real like to me is this is a, some sort of fantasy shop where you come in, you get one magic item, and then it is gone forever. Yeah. Yes, that's how it is in the book, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he tries to go back in the book's disappears. My question is, all of these things that are missing that explain things, this one I've seen more recently. It has been even longer since I've seen the second one, and so the things I remember from that one are even less. I can't remember if any of these parts are filled in in the second. All I remember is a bunch of water... Um, there, I do remember there is more father-son fixing of issues in the second one, and they replace all the people, and suddenly it's Jonathan Brandis well, in the second yeah, one. Yeah, and the, the rock biter has a son in the second one. So again, I, I haven't seen, I think the I've only seen the second biter. one once, and it's been forever, so I wonder if the two stories are paralleling each other again, like the rock biter teaches him how to be a better son with his father, uh, etc. The rock biter doesn't, but there is something where things are fixed through what the bad guy is in that one. And in the book, there isn't a bad guy, but the thing is similar where there's this whole thing with disappearing memories. But That's very strange to me because this film ends with Bastion having the ability to wish for whatever he wants and create it real. Okay, that is dealt with in the second one. Okay. And in the second half, he just loses that ability? No, he gets the ability. The thing that is fixed is, and you can't really do it here because. It, that would have left a cliffhanger, and you don't want that in something you don't know if you're getting a sequel for. Um, what it is, is the, oh, what is it called? 
The thing, the pendant. The, uh, oh, the, the Orin. Something? Orin. The Orin. I can't pronounce when it. When he gets the Orin at the end, the Orin is what allows him to make the wishes. It says on the back, um, oh, I'm trying to remember what it says. It says something about you can make any wishes. Oh, but yeah, what it is, is he makes these wishes in Fantasia. He doesn't make them in the real world. And what it is, is for every wish he makes, he loses a memory. Oh. Yes, and that is dealt with in the second one. That is a major plot point of the second movie. So so he can't just have this, like, free wishing machine. It does come with stipulations. They're just not explained at the end of this because yeah. it's got to so, end somewhere, what, complete. They're all worried about saving the world of Fantasia and how wonderful of a world it is. And I don't... If you're going to save that place, I would get rid of the Sea of Sadness. <laughs> because what is the point of that being there if this is this wonderful fantasy world like <laughs> but that's the thing is it's not considered a fantasy world world within the movie mm-hmm. it is a literal place that exists Wait. so so it's not just bastion reading a book and this is some fairy tale it's a literal world right but it's a world of imagination right he did not it's create a world it. populated by people's hopes and dreams and yes. created and people by are stopping to hope and dreams humans. which is why it's going away but i don't remember if that was see now that's what I'm... it said in the movie no, is that I'm... it was yes, all I'm there to... because of imagination and people, yeah. right. had and people being are losing creative, that so that's why but it's mark i would say terrible things if this world is based on people's minds then the sea of sadness has to remain there because part of being human is being sad occasionally. And people imagine all sorts of things. Good things, bad things, weird monsters. Yeah. A sad no, I'm, pit of I'm mud. glad you brought up the Sea of Sadness, because I want to head there next for the best horse acting I've ever seen. Because <laughs> this you horse... see a lot of horse acting? Uh, I've seen a fair amount in fantasy stuff, but this horse looks legitimately freaked out when it sinks into that Sea of Sadness. Like... The horse was not told this is fake. The horse felt like it was dying. And you could read this on the horse's face. Um, I think it was so realistic that there was a rumor for a while that that, thing act- that scene actually killed the horse. It did not. The horse survived. It was yes. given to Atreus actor, but he couldn't transport it from Germany to the U.S. And so Aww. the horse just got to retire in Germany, I guess. Aww. I'm sure it's a but nice yes. place for horses. Artax is the horse's name, and it is the reason that my girlfriend will not watch this film. <laughs> because she it? cannot deal with anything bad happening to animals. It is a very, even if so, you know what's going to happen to Artax in the like very, very end of the movie, it is a hard-to-watch scene is, of a small child. Has she seen this movie before, or no. had she watched it with you now? And She didn't watch it. She knows, she has heard rumors that a horse dies. Can't see it. So she has never seen it, ever. Correct. It's a never-watching story for her. Um, Okay, so going back, this all deals with Atreyu, who is our our called-for warrior that the childlike empress has said will help lead to finding the solution. And in the book, he's green. They did not make him green, because in the time period... This is a fantasy world. Yeah. The, the plains warriors are green, but they tried to yes. do it and they turned all... And they hunt the color. purple buffalo. Yes. Purple buffalo. Because um, they're different and they must fight. Anyway, uh, no, I think it was a wise choice not to make them green, especially if children are watching this, so that they can uh, see themselves in a tree. Well, no, they tried. What happened is they just couldn't get the makeup to work out. It just oh, turned so a weird Oh, this is color. a Harry Potter situation where his eyes yes. are blue in the movie because the context didn't work. It, it's just the makeup didn't work to make him look 
right. It, he ended up just looking weird and moldy, and they're like, we just not <laughs> into it. Um, but I like this actor. I think he's really... He, oh, yeah. He has this way of talking that works... If you put him, like, in Bastion's character and he talked like that, you'd be like, who is this nerd? But in a fantasy <laughs> setting, he has this almost formal way of talking that works for being like, I live in a world where I hunt the purple buffalo. And What I thought, <laughs> and while you're talking about that, I thought Bastion was really oh, yeah. good acting for a child actor. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Real good child acting. Even the childlike empress in the, the end, they all fit their parts very, very mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. Yeah, Atreyu, the character, even seems to have, like, Native American roots to him. Which... And I think... I, I don't think he's a Native American actor, but he portrays that very well. He might yeah, be I, I I feel like that was one of the parts that paralleled Bastion's story. Well, not par- but but you at the very beginning you see Bastion wake up in his bed. There's a picture of an Indian chief over his bed, and he has been reading a book that he fell asleep to. I, it doesn't say what the book was, but later on, as he's reading the Neverending Story book. And he talk. They they talk about Atreyu showing up at the ivory tower. Um, he looks at the front of his backpack or some, at another book that he has that has an Indian on it, and that's when Atreyu shows up. So I think in Bastion's oh. mind, that's what the warrior hunting buffalo would be. Oh, interesting. So it's so the way I think that that's he interprets why the character, I, yeah. and that's why he looks. That I think way. that's why he looks like an Indian, kind of, is because American Indian, because yeah. that's how Bastion pictured it. That's really neat. They did uh, kind of the same thing in the fall, where it's uh, Lee Pace telling a story to a little girl, and he, Lee Pace, is telling a story about an American Indian, but the little girl is overseas and can only imagine like a person from India, Indian. And that's the way that he appears in the the story. And it would be interesting to know, did they have that the whole time? Or is that something that got added when they couldn't turn him green? And they're like, well, we'll tie it in this way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know yeah. that part of the story before. So I just assumed it was because that's what Bastion was picturing um, in his mind. But... So when they go to the White Tower, one of the things that I think has, I mean, you can tell what it is, but that I think has aged really, really well. Makeup? Well, one, the practical effects on the people in the throne room. They've got people with like oh, yeah. three or four I faces. Love them. The bobbleheads. Ones, ones that yes, are like the- just <laughs> giant stone heads, things like that. They all look really, really good. But the other thing is the matte paintings. Mm. So oh, when they're coming okay. in, there's a the big matte painting that's just um, the white tower and the sky behind it. That's definitely a matte painting, but it's beautiful. And they've got a couple other ones later on that are definitely Yeah, matte the paintings. murals? Well, not the murals, no, no, no. but like she took like like the background oh, like the images. Background. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Instead okay. of instead of using an actual scenery, what they just did is they did a painting and then turned that into the background. You know, I didn't notice it, but that's probably because I didn't notice yeah. it is probably reflective of how good it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's it's beautiful. It, you can tell because they look a little. Um, I mean, they look more like illustrations. And and at this time, and I think still today, they do it matte paintings for backgrounds especially in fantasy things like this but i mean they're beautifully illustrated and they're just and the tower itself and how white and clean and beautiful it's just a really nice i feel like a a lot of those now even though they may be made up rather than an actual scene they're probably done on the computer instead of actual paintings but but yeah similar idea there's a lot of beautiful stuff in this movie Mm-hmm. And a word on the, the characters on this tower, which they have characters from all across the land, and there's a lot of variety here. I just had a note that it was giant head people, multi-head people. Is that death I spy in the background? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was, the yeah, the ones that had, like, 
it was one head, but it had a face on all four sides of it. Yeah. I don't oh, yeah. know what that was. Like, do they turn their head around to change their mood? Ooh, I've seen characters like that. Mm-hmm. I but like that character design. It's a very quick, easy way. And I, I like practical effects, especially in movies like that. I said this about when the new Star Wars came out, mm-hmm. and they went back to having a lot more practical effects than CGI for some of the creatures. I like them. I think in some ways they age better. You always know they're a costume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But because you know that, like, CGI, you look at early, mid-2000 CGI, it looks oh, rough. Boy. But then oh, you yeah. look at it's... practical effects of the same thing, and they've aged a lot better because they're not they're not weird technology robots. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and so I, I tend to like them in things like this, things, fantasy movies. Um, all of the, like, Jim Henson Muppety movies mm-hmm. use them. And, I mean, they're the masters, obviously. Oh, absolutely. And I love Jim Henson in that his characters are of a different size and they're yes. of a different race. And, and this had a very similar feel to that, but it's a very quick, easy way to say, this is not a human earth world without right. having to explain anything. You just see, oh, there's a bunch of weird people in this room. I see this as a fantasy world, even mm-hmm. beyond obviously the earlier rock biter scene. Um, All right. We were talking about the the Sea of Sadness. I think a natural progression there is talking about the Ancient One, (laughs) uh, which I called it on the first time watching this movie that the giant hill would turn out to be the creature he was looking for. Uh, But Uh, I love this character. Morla? Uh, So, yes. So talking about, um, we talked about Treebeard earlier. This is a very Treebeard character to me because they just talk as slow as they want to talk, regardless of the youth that is around them that wants them to go faster, they're just going to talk at the pace they want to talk at. So Morla is the ancient one that he finds after his horse dies in the Sea of Sadness, which is if you get depressed, it'll eat you. You'll just yes. get sucked up is, into the mud. So is Morla in the Swamps of Sadness Is was I my question, so. or is she beyond that? Because I'm, why hasn't she sunken into it then? Because she's she too old to care. Rather, So, yes, I had this question too. I believe she's in the Sea of Sadness. I think Atreyu has a line that he explored the entire world, and this was the last place to look, is the last place he wanted to go, uh, and she is in the middle of it. My question is... Does this ancient one give in to the sadness, which is why she sinks, or did, does this ancient one poison the ground? Did she cause the sadness? I would say neither. Neither. I would say she's not sinking in. She is not sad or depressed. She's not given in. She is too old to care. Because most of her lines talk about the fact that, well, our world is ending, she's like, She doesn't care whether care. or not she cares. Yes. yes. Also, she talks in, like, fourth person, all of her lines are actually, we don't care. Mm-hmm. She and, and it's explained as she has t- not talking to anyone in so long, she started talking to herself. And I would say she is this ancient creature who is beyond kind of those emotions of caring or depression or whatever. She's just old and a turtle. Though, to be fair, she is sunken into the, mm-hmm. the ground when Atreyu approaches. Well, she's a turtle. So she just sinks wherever she goes. She just sometimes <laughs> hangs out under the mud. She wants a mud bath. Well, and then, which She's has nothing. Skin. I don't you know if it has anything to do with the story that much. But I would say the mud bath is not helping her skin. Yes, true. No, I. Although the, I want to know whatever that, facial stuff the child like Empress uses because she wow. has great skin. Oh, you mean youth? She just uses <laughs> oh, no. youth. She's not a child. She's Stem literally cells. ageless. 
Oh, okay. She is. I thought you meant the actress. No, was not, not a the child. actress. The, the actress is clearly a child. <laughs> no, the actress is clearly like ten years old. Yeah. The character is supposed to be as old as eternity or whatever. Oh, fair enough. Hence, no, the I never knew that either. That's why you she's know, called. You know, I think I know the product she uses, which is imagination. <laughs> That's why she's called the childlike empress. Well, she's not uh, actually a child. We will get to that also because okay. things about that. Um, so I just final notes uh, before you move on. Final notes on this turtle character. Oh, I was still I loved, talking about her. Yeah, the, I loved the uh, the comedically timed sneezes. She has. Great timing in that regard. Uh, also, I love that she knows the answer, but refuses to give Atreyu the answer. My note in this is just, Morla is the oldest of ladies. <laughs> but she did give I him the answer. I definitely picture her in like well, a giant hat going off yeah. to church. She is like the crotchety old lady who's like, I'm not telling you anything, small child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... I am done of the turtle now. Where were you moving us to, Mark? What? No, I was going to talk about her sneezing. So, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I thought you were moving past this. No. Because it was just about her being allergic to youth, which yes. was the only reason she had the sneezes, was because she's like, oh, go away. You're making me allergic. And <laughs> um, No, I love the way they set this up, because the way that uh, Atreyu survives is he has to climb a tree and brace himself against the giant gust of wind <laughs> that this turtle makes when they sneezes. They sneezes? They sne- yes, yeah. that's the yep. way she would say Oh, it. I forgot. This is the scene where it's first introduced that Bastion can affect the story. Yes. Oh, right. He yeah. yells. Because they both hear a noise. He screams. That he... Yes. That's right. My note on this is why does the school that Bastion is at <laughs> not hear him when he is shouting at the top of his lungs? Was this be- was this before they were all... What was weird to me this was is how before they left. the bell rings, he goes downstairs and watches everybody leave, and then he goes back up to the attic instead of, like, you could just bring the I, book with you and read it somewhere else. I have a very big problem with that point, because, like, when that bell rang, I thought, oh, it's recess. Yeah. Bastion is w- spending his own time reading a book up in the attic. No, school is closing. Oh, yeah. No, you didn't notice that? He clearly goes to the attic because he goes math test. He's missing yeah, math no, class, no, no. and he goes upstairs to hide. My point is, he's been there the entire day. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's staying the night. I assume it's he knows he's going to get in trouble with someone, and he's like, I'll just stay here and finish right. the book and but get in trouble later. his dad cares about him, right? We, we, we've <laughs> Maybe. established that his dad cares. I think this is another thing where, since we don't see anything outside of the school, right. that this is something that maybe... I don't remember if it gets to t- that would have gotten taken care of if they hadn't stopped at the point where like Bastion hasn't left the building yet because they wouldn't necessarily know to look in the attic if there's right. people looking for him because he shouldn't be up here because they don't know he has the key. I, yeah. Well, as far as they know, he didn't show up for school that day. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for all we know, there's tons of adults in place looking for him, but he never leaves the building. So outside right. of the book, he doesn't know what's going on. And yeah, yes. So this is a, a clear delineation of how I would interpret it as a child and how I interpret it as an yes. adult. Because as a child, it's cool. He's got this cool clubhouse place. Mm-hmm. He's just going to stay there. This is his private area. As an adult, I'm like, what are you doing, child? This is this is outrageous. You need to talk and let people know where you are. That and was I think- exactly the point I was thinking before. Like, I... As a kid, it was like, yeah, I don't want to go to class. I would skip and go read a book, too. But now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this 
is a really irresponsible kid who's skipping class to read a book in the attic. And then when school leaves and everybody locks the doors, he just stays there. Yeah. What if something happens? What if that candle you lit starts a fire up there? What are you going to (laughs) do? He's a sad sad 10-year-old child. He doesn't know better. Anyway, I think most, a lot of these problems with the, like, real-world plot stuff are all caused by the fact that the movie ends in a really weird place, gives it a really weird ending to tie it off, and we never see Bastion actually after all the Fantasia stuff happens. Because we could imagine after this, he goes home, he deals with Zerfat, his dad. Right. Now that he's learned to deal with some stuff, they have a nice emotional talk. And he's like, please don't run away again. We'll deal with our mom issues. But we don't get to see any of that because the movie stops before then. Which I I had a note where, uh, since we're not following the plot, I'll bring it up now. <laughs> I kind of sense that this could be a Jacob's Ladder situation because he is staying the night when a storm is raging outside. At one point, a tree branch breaks through the window and nearly hits him. You're saying Bastion's dead. He got hit in the head, he died, and then everything after that point is just him in this afterlife where he gets anything he wishes for. Uh. (laughs) So... Yeah, we'll get we'll talk it's, about the ending we'll continue to talk about yes, the ending. Yes. So weird, so but. from the sea of sadness we go to back Balcor. to the sea of sadness. <laughs> oh right. This time Atreyu is getting uh trapped in there and the monster is coming. Well now that now oh, that Morla um, told wouldn't well, she gave him the answer, but she said it's it's ten thousand miles away. You'll never oh, make right. it there. And so now he's all depressed and giving into it, oh, so he sinks into the swamp again. It's not the nothing mm-hmm. you're th- you're t- when you're talking about the monster, you're not talking about the nothing you're talking no, about. No, no, the uh the wolf man. The wolf man. Um Yeah, yeah. Gmork. Amork. Gumor. Yes. It's G M. The name is said, like, once I, yeah. I missed yes. the G at the start and, of it. And uh, for me, praising all of the practical effects, and I still say it's a really good effect, I will say the wolf is the one that has aged the worst. Mm. I would agree with you, but this doesn't come until later in the yes. film. Because early on, they barely show the monster, which is the only way that monsters are effective in movies, yeah. is if you yeah. only show parts of them. And, and it's possible and that they the cut a lot of corners on that one, because you never really see the whole body even when they have the conversation at the end you still he's he's hidden in darkness um and so i like the way the luck dragon looks still i think it's a really cool animatronic yes i liked the luck dragon aka falcor aka weird long dog (laughs) um but yeah i would say he's a deus ex machina though he just appears when he needs to appear i would say he's less that and more of a magical taxi (laughs) (laughs) well right but atreyu does nothing Um, to call to him he just shows up and allows the story to continue according to trivia between when when he the monster showing up and um he gets rescued by falcor there is a scene that was cut ah and I wonder if that would have fixed. And it was cut because they couldn't get the effects to work right. And so they just had to cut it. And it's part okay. of the reason why when they get there, both of them need medical attention. There's Ye- a whole thing where there's a f- kind of fight of something in between there that would probably explain more why Falcor shows up. Yeah, because because 
the scene right after that, Atreyu's arm is all bandaged up, but nothing ever yes. happened to it that and, we saw. And so that, that, that stuff happens sense. in the missing scene, and I'll have to look and see mm-hmm. if I can figure out what that now, scene was. Now, do you recall in the book how Falcor shows up? Uh, is it, like, I could see if, like, Atreyu is wishing to the sky, like, <laughs> or calling to him in some way. Because in the movie, he just, he's there. He descends from the sky when he needs to be there. Don't remember, but All I'll right. do some research. Keep talking. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, you guys do some talking while I try to figure out what that scene was. Yeah. That, so, um, but yes, that, there is a missing To explain part people that... what um, Falcor looks like, I call him a weird long dog because he's kind of got a dog face. He does. But, he has uh, a dragon body. He's got like scales. He, he he's a very long interpretation of a dragon. The scales, so not like a yeah. Charizard, but more like a Gyarados. He's he's definitely more <laughs> in terms that the <laughs> listeners will understand. I Way to go, Carl. Uh, oh, a dragonite, wise, of course. Shape wise, he looks much more like a um, Asian style dragon yeah. than a European yes. style dragon. Right. He looks like a dragon on the Orin. He kind of looks like. Um, I would say he kind of looks like those um, those parade puppet things. Yeah, that you the get at parade dragon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they have yeah. a or like bit, a dragon ball dragon. They they have a little bit more of the not full dog face, but a little more of like a canine snake mm-hmm. shaped snout. A mm-hmm. lot more long. Um, and they have yeah. feather looking things on them. Yes, mm-hmm. and and but I would say um, this puppet. I say for a practical effect, this is. Oh, you could fantastic. use it today in a, a practical effects fantasy movie is great and it's beautiful because he's all pure white and the scales are kind of this iridescent like blue white and it's just really pretty yeah i mean it so he even has a tongue scenes, and a tongue that works in his mouth and the eyes that open and shut separately of each other yeah, yeah he and he's got ears that wiggle up and down there's a point where treyu gives him scritches behind the ears uh. and just the look of joy on this dragon's face is just oh it's adorable Oh, okay. Two scenes from the book were written in the script and ultimately scrapped due to special effects. In the initial appearance of Falcor, um, I guess Atreyu rescues him, and that's how he fights. Falcor is being attacked by this swarm of poisonous wasps. See, that would like, also that explain why why Falcor is more kind of like bonded to him and wants to bring yeah. him places. But yeah. I, so I would have assumed that they may have cut a scene like in the see the swamps of sea of sadness swamp of sadness whatever it was because it it's supposed to be like he's traveling a long time to find morla but it's like one mm-hmm. scene he's his horse dies and then all of a sudden he's there and bastion's well, like it's... oh yeah i remember now it's morla and i'm like we just heard about this 20 seconds ago but well, yeah, yeah i think what they, they cut is all the adventures he had gone on before going to the sea because it's it's only mentioned in passing that he is like looked through all these other landmarks to look for this place. And this is the last place on earth that it could possibly be. Yes. In the book, um, the other one that, that gets cut is later on the story when, um, Atreyu falls off Falcor's back. Ooh. Um, Oh, well we did see that, didn't we? No, but it was supposed to be, there was a fight scene there that also got, Mm -hmm. and I think the reason why is because the monsters that are in those two fight scenes are a little weird. So the first one is a swarm of wasp that together forms the shape of a giant spider, kind of like a school of fish. Oh, wow. <laughs> Carl's so, favorite monster ever. <laughs> but you can see for this came out in, what, 1984? You can yeah. see how doing 
that many small creatures into a big right. creature would be a problem. And then the, the second one that got cut, they were having a fight with the with four winds. Mm-hmm. And something like that, you can also see, might be a little ahead of the time period to be able to do You know, I always thought my greatest fear would combine two of my fears, which would be a spider <laughs> with needles for legs. Uh, but you've just put three of them together because I am afraid of spiders, sharp things, a.k.a. wasps, uh, thorns, and also swarms of things. <laughs> so you've just, you've just combined into a perfect package of... My greatest fear. Don't so I guess Carl is happy that they cut that scene. Blame yeah. Michael End? It's E-N-D. Anyway, the author of this book. Okay. Oh, the never-bending that... story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, but, but, but I think I can see why that scene got cut. But yeah, that scene that also would be really hard to do with practical effects. But that yeah. scene does, would explain the transition better. Oh, Yes. So let's keep moving. Um, let's see. So I want to get to the trials. We right. should. I just, I have one thing in between when I, the luck, when Falcor shows up and the trials, which is just the note, don't throw books. Because at one point, Bastion <laughs> just heaves the book straight across the room. Yeah, he is not kind to this magical book he really enjoys. Oh, Yeah. So uh, before we get there, I guess we can talk about the Geppetto of potions or the Mad Max in this film. It's, yeah. it's very, very... Um, Princess Bride? Princess yeah. Bride. And obviously, this... So it's a man of science, a.k.a. crystal science, and then a woman of potions, uh, which are really well done because we see shots of their home where they're kind of bickering with each other and discussing how to help Atreyu. And we cut to Atreyu, who's like coming to meet them. And then we see them together, and these people are, like, minuscule. They're, like, Keebler elves, and that is a really nice reveal. Although later on, you see them standing next to Falcor, and they're about the same height as Atreyu is compared to him. So that's the only... <laughs> yeah, they, did, they didn't think it all the that's way through. The or maybe Falcor can change that, sizes. Maybe they, they made their magic potion and changed size. Um... I, yeah, there's I, a really good line here, which I think is a good lesson, which may come up for the lesson later. But it's um, they mention things have to hurt if it is to heal. And I think like that is a good message, especially for Bastion, who's trying to get over mm-hmm. the death of his mother and not dealing with it, is that he has to go through that sadness if he's ever going to get out of it. And well, this has nothing to do with what you just said, but I did. I do remember that kind of that line stood out to me when I was watching it. But I also had forgotten how many times he calls his wife a wench. Yeah. Well, no, she, he calls her a witch. I, I think he says wife. to the to the winch. Oh, he does call her a wench. Yes. I was gonna say to the wench, winch, but no, it's to the winch, wench. Yes. <laughs> uh, like three or four times he calls her that, and they just sit there arguing about everything. So it's definitely just Mad Max from Princess Bride again. Yeah. Well, as far as we know, she has no other options. But I will say that there is a lot of very um shoot. What is his name? Engelwuk. Excuse yeah. me. Is this a Star Wars? No, character? that's that guy. That's the little gnome character. Um, okay. There's a lot of... He has a very lot of deep philosophical lines in this part. Because mm-hmm. he also has the whole thing during the trials about seeing your true self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked him at first because he was a man of science. And I thought, oh, really neat. They never, <laughs> they hardly ever put science in fantasy things. And then they reveal crystal science. I was like, oh, okay, of course. And there's the line <laughs> later where they're like, well, have you ever seen the Oracle so, something about no, I'm doing things scientifically. 
Which is him just like writing in a book and looking through the telescope and not actually going down there. Which, to right. be fair, he'd get super murdered by those lasers if he went and down we, there. And we have reached the trials. I want to talk about this trial. Uh, we see how dangerous it is by some knight red shirt who tries to ride <laughs> through. Uh, but is this why they told him, uh, told Atreyu at the beginning of his journey not to bring any weapons? Because to me, that's an incredibly dangerous journey. I don't know why you put that on the restriction unless he, they knew this challenge was coming. I thought, well, and that's what I wondered that too, why they made him leave his possessions. But I thought maybe it was just because they knew that they were under some kind of time pressure. So they just wanted him to go as light as possible so he could move quicker. Mm. But his weapons were not necessarily that heavy to begin with. But right. I, I, this part I remember as a kid was one of my favorites. And I always pretended that I was a Treyu when I was doing things oh. as a kid. <laughs> because I, he does his little sprint through there, but... I feel like that defeats the purpose because the point of the trial was to prove that you are um, strong-hearted or like have have you faith in, in yourself. yourself. And then right. the eyes open up and shoot at him anyway. He just gets through because he runs through faster than they shoot at him. I think maybe that's another way where they're trying to showcase that Bastion has influence in the world mm, of okay. him because he remember he's yelling "run." Right. Right. Yeah, I think, so my understanding of this, well, to explain to our listeners, you're basically walking through a gate on either side of gate, or these angel statues with laser eyes that uh, at a certain we'll point may open and too. destroy you. Uh, but a knight goes through, uh, and the um, science man, who Sarah knows the name of. I can't pronounce it, but I it. or something. Thank you. Uh, is it German? No, it's just... I don't know the name of some thing. Anywho, um, he explains that you need to be confident. And I believe the knight dies because of his armor and stuff. He's relying more on the armor and his weapons than in faith in himself. And so the statue detects this and destroys him. Atreyu goes through, is initially confident, so they don't open their eyes. And then he starts to doubt himself and the eyes slowly start to open and he's able to run through before they can hit him. I don't remember if these trials exist in the book. I remember that the Oracle obviously exists. I don't remember. It has been a good 15 years. I should reread it. Anyway, this was another scene that used a lot of matte paintings. Yes. Um, yes. So I had a question here. If the knight on the horse had just galloped through, do you think he could have made it? I'm not sure. Maybe Atreyu in his running gain, regained his confidence in himself? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe the horse would make it through, but not the knight. <laughs> That's what I always wondered, too. Why Why would the knight walk through so slowly like that? If you're on a horse, just gallop straight through to begin with, and then you wouldn't have to worry about it. Maybe there's, like, a set of rules, like, right by the edge that says, no running. But he <laughs> ran only. through anyway, and that's how he got through. Uh, I was going to say, maybe there's a set of rules of how to beat it, but you have to be through it first, and then you can read them. So, Please don't walk so on the grass. Anyway, my question I wouldn't say here, they're angels, they're uh, something I didn't remember as being a child, or I didn't notice as, as a child. As being a child. Okay. The, the sphinxes are, are, what would you say, anatomically correct in the oh, upper body? And I was yeah. like, what? Mark, <laughs> like, Mark, you can just say tits. They have yes. tits. But why did they need them? Oh, they serve no they purpose at all. I think it's just, there's a lot of, I have to, but I've seen a lot of sphinxes with that sort of design where they do have 
I just don't remember. Half woman. I, maybe I didn't notice as a kid, or it's a I, weird I, I choice for a children. It was weird, film. yeah, for a kids movie. I can't spell Sphinx. <laughs> yeah, apparently, you don't. Is how that works. I would say S P H I N X Sphinx. I think it's a Y. Maybe that'll get you close. Oh boy, uh, uh, did I get it right? It's an X. It's S P H I N X. Oh yay! Did I? I think that's what I said. Yeah. I'll take it. All right. You said a Y at some point. Right. So the only thing I can think of here is like, this is certainly not sexual nudity. It's just nudity, uh, which I would say ancient statues had a lot of nudity in them. They weren't necessarily meant to be to be sexy in any way. That's the only thing I can think of is they wanted to make an ancient world feel to these things. And so they went with this decision. And they well, definitely, plus, as a sphinx, it makes they more sense half- knowing that the movie was made in Germany because that's true. That would be yeah they they wouldn't worry they about have that as different much. <laughs> uh, ideas of sexuality yeah. than Americans. Um, do. And also, it does portray better in the ancient world. The Sphinx is part human, part animal. It's part lion, part bird, part I don't know. It's a it's a chimera, a chimera. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Anyway, but. That would portray more that this part of the body is human. But it also yeah. does uh, mimic a lot of older statues and stuff. I was going to. Um, I don't think I have anything else to say about That's that. That's fine. We've, we've moved past the first challenge, as has Atreyu. So the second challenge, I almost feel like it's not as important to the. Because I mean, there's really only two challenges. And then Atreyu arrives at a place where they give him the answer he's been looking for. I- the second challenge is where we get the, the crossover between Atreyu and Bastion, where Atreyu needs to face himself in the mirror, but it's Bastion that he sees. Yes, so it's, right. the first test is about having courage in yourself, and the second task is about being able to face the reality of yourself. Um, because I'm trying to remember what the thing is. It, it's something about, because they say, oh, the fir- we passed the first one, it'll be easy from here, Falcor, or someone says something about yeah. that. And, he's, and little no man's like, no, people have looked in the mirror and brave man has seen cowards and nice men have seen terrible people and things like that. It's about being able to... So I have the line here. Thank uh, you. Part of the line, anyway, from old man crystal science um, is um, <laughs> most men run away screaming. And I said, luckily Atreyu is just a boy. He doesn't qualify. He can face himself because he doesn't. he hasn't grown up enough to really know himself and to question himself. He has the um, the arrogance of youth about him. Atreyu will have to look him true, his true self in the face. Um, it shouldn't be that hard. That's what everyone thinks, but kind people find out they are cruel. Brave men find out that they are really cowards. Confronted mm-hmm. by their true selves, most men run away screaming. Mm. Yes, this is also... Um, oh, so I think Bastion also sees Atreyu at this moment in some way. Uh, because he freaks out and I think, questions whether or not he's going to finish this book. Is that the that's the is point that when, when he, he throws, throws the book it? At the wall? Yeah, I think that's when he oh, throws it. Because... This is also where he lights candles, and I I had the question: Why does this attic have candles? Right? Why uh, does it have this, all the stuff it this has? This attic is very strange. I don't. This attic might be like a mystical room, like the bookshop, because it has just the weirdest assortment of things, like a blanket and pillows. And a skull in the background. I would say it makes more sense, again, going back to the fact that this was, it's based on a German book, filmed in Europe, 
with German director, it makes more sense if you think of it as a very, very old school that maybe originally was a boarding school or something like that. So they have this attic filled with junk from decades and decades. It looks more like... um Oh, I was thinking of something and now I don't remember. But it seemed it seems like not like like more like a museum attic than a school oh, okay. because like you've got the stuffed animal heads and stuff in there too. And then yeah. whatever that cage is that he runs into at one point. Yeah. But it does make I don't sense know what that was. Like, maybe it used to be like a boys, boys boarding school and then got turned into more of a public school or maybe it was like a prep school or something so they did have sort of weird stuff <laughs> at one point See, in its history. It would make more sense to me. Like, this attic, to me, is completely displaced from the school it's a part of. It seems more of, like, a grandfather's attic or, like, an uncle's attic. Something attached to a home. It, it does mm-hmm. not make sense in the context of, we were all people who went to normal American schools. Fair. That, I mean, probably what you're going to have if they had an attic was, maybe, like, old wrestling maybe mats. Maybe German schools used to be my grandfather's home. Well, <laughs> maybe. but some of them would be a lot older, maybe. have The same school has been around for hundreds of years, not, like... My school got built like 50 that's, years ago. That's fair. I mean, America's fairly young as far as countries go. And also, we don't have as many, um, our school system doesn't have as many boarding schools and, and prep schools and that sort of thing. Um, I will say, now I don't remember what I was going to say. Something about this scene. I, I, Something about things. Wow. Okay, we, um, if we only had more information, we could oh, help you. No, I got there. Okay, yeah. so it reminded me because we were talking about Atreyu being young. And for all we know, we don't know, actually know how old Atreyu is. Because this is fantasy rules, and for all we know, he's an but elf. They do but call, actually... they do say but, he's but, a child at the beginning. The one also, guy says he's a child. Also, the Sam Jackson-looking character at the top of the White Tower is amazed that Atreyu is a boy because he was expecting he a man. He looks like a boy, but for all we know, he's like a hobbit, and they're, they age physically slower. We don't know. This is fantasy world. But that going Fair. back to Sam Jackson, man. Yes. Um. This is what I was thinking. It's very weird to me, and I didn't think of it while watching it, and I just thought of it now, that he's very like, we don't want a boy, we asked for the warrior. Yeah. Their high empress is a never-aging, child-looking woman. Why are they so, like, ageist? Wouldn't they be like, ooh, oh, our our empress has always looked about ten. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to judge a small boy. For all we know, he's two thousand years but old. But then you know what? As it's soon as a train says, okay, he's trying to save the world. I, know. Then- I mean, it makes sense because it's kind of a fun scene where he gets to like smack the guy in the face with right. his but then, then, Yeah, as soon as Atreyu's like, I'm okay, well then I'll just go back and hunt some buffalo. And he's like, no, wait, we need your help. <laughs> but it it's, just seems like a really weird thing. I'm like, you deal with this woman who looks like a child giving her, do, bidding, doing her bidding constantly. Why are you so against no, this? He says oh, then that, that the Empress is ill and can't help save the people, but later yes. on Atreyu meets her and she's just sitting there not acting like she's sick at all. Well, the illness, I but think, But she also apparently with... knew what needed to be done to save Fantasia, but didn't tell anybody, so... I think it's a kind of another one of those Wizard of Oz things. They don't explain it well in the movie. It's explained, obviously, better in the book. The childlike empress is not sick because of the nothing. Oh. The nothing is happening because the childlike empress is sick. Ah. So because the childlike empress is this, like, eternal being, she is... Basically, the thing that is keeping Fantasia alive, and the nothingness is actually a cyclical event. Every time the childlike empress kind of reaches the end of where she's at and needs Mm -hmm. a new name, she begins getting sick, the nothing comes, and Fantasia starts to fall apart. Because if the childlike empress were to die, Fantasia would stop existing. 
I guess that explains really... why the ivory tower survives the nothing. Yes. she. So she is kind of like, as much as she is the seen as the ruler, she's more like the almost the deity creator of this world. She dies, everything stops existing. And so when she starts needing a new name, which only a human child can provide, she starts getting sick. The world starts falling apart, hence the nothingness. And this is something that happens every time she needs a new name, which is another thing why we talked about the old man passing on the book. The book gets passed on probably when the childlike empress needs a new name and needs to find a new human child. So it's, it's, it's the thing that we talked, you talked about off air. Why is it called the never ending story? Here's one of the reasons. <laughs> I see. Also, I wanted to talk about uh, Atreyu's journey, and Mark talked about how the the queen doesn't, the empress doesn't seem sick. My interpretation of it, which I understand is not how they interpret it from the book or whatever, yes. was that the queen wasn't sick at all, that the nothing was coming. She knew what needed to be done because she's immortal or whatever. Yeah. And Atreyu's journey is pointless because in a sense because he doesn't get anything from it but the reason he needs to go on the journey is so that bastion has the story and can then provide the name right which that's then that's how she explains it to atreyu when he comes right. back and finds her which it's is kind of Wizard a of Oz move to atreyu because he is doing all these death defying mm-hmm. things and um, gaining nothing out of this process but they also mentioned that the never-ending story is also levels of narrative because the Empress gets very meta that Atreyu's story is being read by Bastion and Bastion's story is being watched by another human being. I will tell you that this is a thing that was added and the real thing that happens in the book is also kind of weird and meta, but in a different way. Anyway, so the way it happens in the book is the never-ending story the book exists in the real world with Bastion, but also as a literal book in Fantasia. So what happened is not that he goes to the childlike empress and the childlike empress starts talking directly to Bastion through the book. Right. She does kind of, but what she does is when Atreyu comes to her, when Bastion refuses at that point to believe, no, I'm not the one they're talking about as the human child beyond the boundaries, Mm -hmm. she goes and finds a man in the mountains, I think. The man in the mountains has the book has a book, she starts reading the book. Okay. And as she's reading the book, what happens from Bastion's point of view as the never-ending story starts over at the beginning. But this time, it, um, as it starts, it starts, the never-ending story starts with Bastion finding the bookstore and finding the book and then going into Atreyu being called, Atreyu going on the journey, and Bastion realizes if he doesn't name the child, the mm-hmm. book is just going to repeat and repeat and repeat uh, until he changes something. Hence, okay. another reason it's called the never-ending story. <laughs> so basically, right. it's like when you stick mirrors together, is as she reads the book in Fantasia, mm-hmm. it's reading the bo- other book, and the other book is reading the book, and it just mirrors back and forth forever. So she's reading the book of Bastion, who's reading the book of no, her? No, she's no. reading the never-ending story, except now the never-ending story has this, like, pre-chapter... That's Bastion's. Like, chapter one is Bastion finding the book, but chapter two through a hundred is the never-ending story again, starting with Atreyu. Gotcha. So basically... I will say that, uh, to bring it back to the film, there's the temple that Atreyu goes to at the very end has all of these murals of his journey, Mm -hmm. meaning the Empress knew 
that his journey needed to happen because it was foretold or apparently has happened a thousand times before and memorialized in these pictures. Yes. It and even so has a picture of... of the Gamork creature that he hasn't fought yet. Well, apparently that he happens, did in the like, swamps, two... but not in the movie. But it yes. has the picture of no, that No, he doesn't fight Gamork thing. in the swamps. He fights the wasps. Oh, right. well, whatever. Anyway, but yes, that's the callback to the book. And I can see why they changed it because that whole sort of like repeating book aspect with the man in the mountains yeah, is it's, a little complicated it's, to get your mind around in a visual form. Right. I mean, you have to wibbly wobbly story multiple times a yes. la Groundhog's Day. Which, which is something you can do in a book because you can yada yada things. <laughs> yeah, it's harder to yada yada stuff in the two hour time frame of a yes. movie. And so I can see why they change it a little bit, but it does, however, getting rid of that and also getting rid of, um, although I don't know, they probably don't reference it in the second one, getting rid of the fact that the book has been passed down from, from child to child to child. Those are the two reasons it's called The NeverEnding Story and they get rid of that. Yeah, it's just meta levels of narrative in the film. It's how they explain the never-ending story. So apparently I'm a part of the never-ending story because if anyone reads my story, I know Bastion's story who knows Atreyu's story. Whereas in the book, it's literally just the story of Fantasia is circular and continues Mm. in the same pattern. Gotcha. All right. So before we move on to the very end, the final scenes of this film, are there any other scenes you want to get to? I want to get... To Rock Guy. Yeah, we skipped the return of the Rockbiter. Yes, let's get to Rockbiter's return, which is also very depressing. Oh, before that, let's talk about, was, no, Gamork was after Rockbiter or before? Uh, just after, but we don't have to go in order. Yeah, we were talking about, after. Yeah, let's talk about um, Gamork, because I want to save Rockbiter for last, because that is, yeah, I want to be able to read that very touching. Because um, I put it somewhere. Oh, yeah, so, I have it So, as described, uh, Atreyu is going through this temple that has all these murals that are depicting the journey that he's just gone on, which seems a little strange to him because he hasn't told anyone his story, and yet here it is in black and white. He is going through, and he finds all the things that he's done before, and then he finds a frame of something that he hasn't done before, which is Gamork waiting in shadows, and he looks down, and there's Gamork waiting in shadows about to attack him. They, in the book, he is not waiting in shadows. He is literally, and I thought at first, oh yeah, they're going to do that, and then I remembered, right, they changed that. In the book, he's chained to a pillar, and that's why Ah. he does not attack Atreyu at first is because someone literally got upset with like there's something about he's in some village everyone oh oh if you want to talk about ways that the book is more depressing than the movie Gamork is in this village the people in the village have given up and decided to willingly throw themselves into the nothing great (laughs) and the leader of that village chains Gamork to a wall so he can stay there and starve to death Oh, Although Gamork, oh, now, it's like a classic German fantasy. Gam- fantasy <laughs> what we find fairy out, tale, fairy what tale. we find out fantasy in that tale. scene is that Gamork is the servant of the Nothing, and he's trying yeah, to help the Nothing destroy everything. Yes, also, which would he include know himself. What Atreyu I guess. looks like he does not. He knows Atreyu's name. He knows Atreyu's scent because he's been tracking Atreyu, but he doesn't know that this is Atreyu. He's even though to. he already attacked him once, and he's Great. not technically the servant of the Nothing. He is the servant of the power behind That's true. the nothing. He also describes to uh, the, the audience what the nothing is, 
because Fantasia is made up of humans' hopes and dreams, and the nothing is those hopes and dreams slowly dying. Uh, they've been infected with despair, and the nothing is closing down on this fantasy world made of dreams. I'm trying to remember what the... Also, he mentions uh, Atreya's got to get to the boundaries to talk to Bastion to get the queen's name. Uh, and Gamork is convinced that Fantasia has no boundaries because dreams are limitless. Um, Which is a great explanation. Yes. So Sarah is looking for something. I was trying to what remember. What could it be? I remember Gamork was always scary to me as a kid. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, it. Of all of the effects, his might be the one that has aged the worst. And he's, oh, still, sure. he's yeah. still creepy, especially if you're a kid. But yeah. looking at it now, it's just kind of like, well, it's a puppet thing that you can kind of tell, obviously. So. It's, it's fine and, and definitely looks creepy hidden there in the shadows until he begins to talk. And then you yes. see it's just a tongue flapping up and down. And I think it's one of those things... The characters in only one scene, they don't need to look make it look as nice as Falcor, because Falcor's in a bunch of stuff and has to fly around and move. He just kind of hides, and when he attacks, they probably just kind of throw the puppet at. Yeah, I would say when he attacks Atreyu, it looks the worst, mm -hmm. but they also limit the amount of screen time yes. this attack gets. I, I think they cut a few corners on this puppet because they knew it wasn't going to be... Um, Use very as much, much in the film. Yes, I, that is what I, I kind of feel like when he attacks, what they did, they just had the camera on his face, and then mm -hmm. his eyes open really wide, and his mouth opens, and then the camera just zooms in really fast. <laughs> and so they didn't even have to move the puppet. They just did this effect to make it look like he was jumping out of his hole. And then the next yeah. scene is a dead body laying on the ground. So Yeah, I would say, so Atreyu is known as the greatest hunter in the land, or like the greatest warrior. We never see him fight except for this scene, and he doesn't do much. Like, the puppet comes and lands on him, but he's got a knife, so the puppet gets stabbed. What? That's why he's the greatest warrior. He doesn't have he to do thought, much. It's just, whoop, oh, you're dead. He thought that beforehand. <laughs> he knew to pick up the, the piece of stone. Anyway, um, the force behind the nothing that I couldn't remember the name of, it's called the Manipulators. Ooh. And it is the incarnations of the worst aspects of imagination. Yes. So the bullies of this Fantasia world. And it's in, in the book, it's never really said whether they are from the human world or whether they're from their friend Fantasia because you talk about what would be kind of the opposite you talk about the nothing is the opposite of like the childlike empress um bastion would be kind of be the opposite of the manipulators so could it be possible that the manipulators that power is from the human world kind of like the childlike emperor's power comes from the human world mm -hmm. not explained but it would be a parallel that you could draw. See, sure. my, my see understanding that was... An impetus for the film, but not fully explained within it. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, yeah, my, I was just... From their explanation in the movie, I thought it was just that imagination and creativity in the human world was dying. People were not being as imaginative, and that's what's causing the nothing to come to Fantasia because it's a world built on those dreams and imagination. Mm -hmm. And now that people are not imagining things, their world is disappearing. So I that nothing is slowly taking them over as this human world is losing its imagination. I would say no, because if you say that, well, of course then there's you would. A period, so. <laughs> well, no, but if you say that, then there's a period like every 30 years where we're like, Imagination's dumb. I'm just gonna stop for a while, like every thirty years, because remember it's so, a cyclical. Well, yeah, but in the movie's version, we yes. don't so, know that it's cyclical. So, so hold on. 
let me throw my two cents in here. How dare you? Maybe both explanations could work. If the old man was former Bastion, perhaps the old man is dealing with getting old and losing his hopes and dreams or just succumbing to adulthood eventually. And like running his business has gotten him down. And this is where the book needs to change hands. When its previous owner succumbs to adulthood and starts to lose out his hopes and dreams. Maybe. Could that be? I would say that would make more sense where it's like one person. Because if you have it based on like the whole world. Yeah. That makes the human world really. You think someone would start noticing. Hey, have you noticed every 30 years there's a trend where we just decide we need to be really serious? <laughs> Like not and in then, like an economic sense. And then a boy sense, just like, makes a bunch of wishes, and then just everyone but, gets their hopes back. Just imagine in this world, the Buzzfeed of this world be like, <laughs> only seventies kids remember when we had no imagination and everything was gray. Uh, only German kids remember. <laughs> only German kids. Um, anyway, let's let's get to the end of the film. Oh, what the entire film? What the book? No, Bastion has been No, oh, what, one, what? What? One, what? One, you need the rock biter. Apparently, in the, in the book, oh, Kumork right. also doesn't get stabbed. Uh, Atreyu just leaves him to die. Yeah. All which right. Is also Let's talk depressing. about Rockbiter. The Rockbiter. Okay. Before we talk about this, I'm going to read his speech. Yes. Okay, so we have ahead. context. Now, please. give us a dramatic reading in the best Rockbiter voice, voice that you have. I'm not going to do that because it'll yes, ruin Yes. Come on. Come on. No. <laughs> anyway. So the speech is, they look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? I always thought that they were. My little friends, the little man with his racing snail, the night hob, even the stupid bat. I couldn't hold on to them. The nothing pulled them right out of my hands. I failed. Listen, the nothing will be here any minute. I will just sit here and let it take me away too. They look like good, strong hands, don't they? So that's yeah. the Rockfire so, speech. Like, this is this is a very depressing moment to watch as an adult. I can't imagine watching it as a <laughs> child of a man that we know to be big and strong, losing his friends, and then deciding, I'm just going to let death come for me. So, while discussing that we needed to watch this movie, Mark and I have seen it. Carl hasn't. The two things we have quoted at him is, Our Texas death in the swamp... <laughs> And this scene. Yeah, they they gave me the most depressing scenes in the movie and said, we should really watch this. It's great. So this is kind of, you have kids movies where they try to do serious scenes and it comes off cheesy and terrible. Yes. This movie does a really good job having these serious movements strike an emotional chord that lasts a good 25 years. Although the one question I've always had about this scene is the nothing came already yeah. and took his friends away. Why is he still here? Why didn't it take him I the first time? that after they got ripped away, he ran away at first. Right. On his because motorcycle. They, I would say they, they were all trying to escape it. He made it through and then realized his friends didn't make it with yes, him. Yes, I assume he was carrying them like he offers to in the beginning. And as he was running, they got ripped away. That would yeah. be my explanation. And so he got away, ran, didn't get ripped, carried by the winds into the nothing, got away, and now he's sitting depressed and say, you know what? Now I'm alone. His people are all gone by the point. That's why he got sent in the first mm-hmm. place. And now the friends he's met along the way are gone. And he, like we talked about in the book, The Village, he has decided to just let the nothingness come and take him. Yes. Which, from Hello. an adult point of view, like, the nothingness looks like depression, and the way that people act as they go into the nothing certainly looks like depression. No, you see, there's where you're wrong. Depression looks like a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> ha. 
All right, fair enough. It looks like, well, no, it looks like when you've sunken into a swamp and can no longer see the daylight. Uh, Artex! <laughs> Artex! You've got to fight it. You're letting it take you. All right. All right. Let's close off this film with what it's been leading up to, what the book that Bastion has been reading has been leading up to, which is rechristening the Empress with a new name. I would say when Bastion shouts out this name out of a window, I can't hear it. I have no idea what his mom's name was. I have no idea what the queen's new name is. I just. Did you turn on your closed captioning? What is no. the closed so here's I the expected thing. Okay. everything else in the film was legible except for this her, name, and it's the most important the thing in the film. Her captions. name apparently is Moonchild, which the, leads me yes. to believe that his mom was a hippie. No. <laughs> so I have no idea where that comes from, unless there's something in the book about what, I will like, say, I think the thing about my mother had a beautiful name, I don't re- think that would happen, because yes. <laughs> The name he gives her is Moonchild. Yeah. And that I, makes I don't... a lot more sense if he never has a line saying, my mother had a beautiful name. Because they can't I, give I don't, I, the I, book, that's what The one part of the movie, I don't know where the name comes from. And, I like, what... So how would that be your mom's name unless you're, like, a hippie family? But his dad definitely is not, so... No, the dad is straight no, edge. No. I... I just, I think it's a thing that got added so they could call it back to, hey, I'm sad about my mother, because <laughs> it is supposed to be Moonchild. In German, it's, um, Ooh. M- Mondenkind. Mondenkind. So it's it's literally Moonchild. Which sounds like okay. a good fantasy name, but it's for a, a mother's child. name, it's like, what? <laughs> so the film suggests that he gave the Empress his mother's name. Yes. I, if a child was just naming a fantasy character and came up with Moonchild, I buy that. I don't yes. buy this as an actual human woman's name. This right? is the one thing that was added that should not have been added. They should have just been like, what do I name this ageless entity? What What do I give it? Like, they should have just been like, I can't give this empress a name that's fitting for her. And then just have him shout out, oh, Moonchild. As a fantasy name, it's perfect. Don't add that stupid line. It's a stupid line. Yeah, like, I was halfway expecting him to shout out, Susan! Which is a stupid name. <laughs> and give her name. a stupid, normal name that doesn't fit in the, the fantasy world. <laughs> I was wondering, because I was going to ask you if you could tell what he shouts. I, no. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell, but I did know what the name was supposed to be. Okay. Because okay. it's the same in the So I think the reason you can't scene. tell is because he's yelling it into a thunderstorm. He, There's just so yeah. much going on, it's hard Which to understand Which is parallel to the it. fact that... Um, at that point, the only thing that exists is the tower. There's a bunch of wind and stuff going on within Fantasia, and there's a bunch of wind and stuff going on in the real world, and then he shouts it, and he ends up in Fantasia! Yes. So, let's talk about the the very, very end of this film. He rechristens the queen, empress, what have you, uh, and she tells him that you get as many wishes as you want, any wish that you want comes true, and by this way, we can... Uh, build up Fantasia again. This is another, until you get to that point, which kind of is just them wrapping up, when she's holding the grain of sand and he's like, Fantasia's gone. And she's like, yes, but kind of, it can be rebuilt. It is a very nice moment of her holding the grain of sand and saying, Mm -hmm. we still have something to build on. Right. Then is where the part where it kind of 
loses the plot for me. Oops, I smacked my microphone in my anger. (laughs) Sorry. Where his first wish is just to ride Falcor. Like, it's just a quick cut to him riding Falcor through Fantasia. Him saying, I know what my first wish will be. And then he's like, the idea Isn't that what everybody, uh, every kid's wish would be, would be to ride Falcor? Well, yes. Uh, No, I think his first wish would be to bring his mother back from the dead. No, because here's the thing. And this is where the ending loses completely the plot for me. If they had cut it off with him, well, one that's not the stupid line of him saying, I know what this my one wish would be. The wishes only affect Fantasia. And this is explored in the second one and in the book. It's not really referenced here because then they do the really, really dumb, like, mm-hmm. um, karate kid ending where it's like, oh, I gotta beat up my bullies, which is so, so we, aggressively 80s. We will get to that. But the idea of him riding Falcor over the landscape and seeing that Fantasia has been rebuilt and everything's back, if they had just left it there, seeing Atreyu and Artax back, seeing all of the landscapes, seeing all of the different creatures, mm-hmm. cut it. Just cut mm-hmm. it there. Just stop. Just you you stop. don't want Falcor to appear in the real world the and is, everyone to react to him as if this is a normal occurrence every day. So here's the thing where we get into the fact that this movie stops midway through the book. The first half of the book is Bastion in the real world reading the book. The second half of the book is Bastion in Fantasia and his effects in the world of Fantasia. He is not supposed to go back to the real world once he goes into Fantasia till the very end of the book. He should not be able to just take a joyride into the real world and scare some bullies. Yes. I would say this final, final scene of him riding Falcor and treating the bullies the same way they treated him proves to me that he should not have the infinite power that he has now because he's using it vindictively instead of being the greater man in this right. situation. Which he's using it the same way the bullies would have used it when they had the power. Yeah. Technically is a message of the second half of the book. Bastion does use his wishes not in good ways. But that end scene just feels like, you know what? It's the mid-80s. You know what we need? We need that thing where the small kid gets to get payback on the bullies. It's like the karate kid. Oh, do you you know who we need to bookend? Not the dad. Not the bookkeeper. Let's bookend these bullies and see what's happening with them. But the thing is, it doesn't even match the narration. Because the narration says he went on to many more adventures, but that's another story. Which would have been perfect to say... If he was still he's, in Fantasia. If he was, if the, mm-hmm. that happened while he's looking down on Atreyu and Artax and looking over Fantasia and it says that, oh, it's this, this kind of ending dot, 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 let's see, it's to say, oh, there's more in the book. He has, more stuff happens while he's in Fantasia. But no, they had to have, it's, it's the one scene, like, there's other things that I have, like, little nitpicks with, but this is the one scene that I just think needed cut. It needed yeah. to be gone. Oh, it needs a better ending. You know, and I I guess I never thought of it that way so much, but it always seemed strange to me suddenly that Falcor was able to be in the real world Mm -hmm. after all that. And, you know, again, I never read the book, uh, so I don't have that background to the story. So it makes a lot more sense now, like, what the the future was for him. But we don't have that idea in the movie and it's just weird that it doesn't really fit for all the fan, like a Fantasia creature yeah. to be in the real world and it just really flying feels like around. to me if it had been the movie had been made a few years earlier or a few mm-hmm. years later that scene would not exist it feels like well it's the 80s let's make this our ending <laughs> like 
it's the only reason to have that scene because it's just but you want to have the happy ending and all the kids feel good that the bad guys got the comeuppance yes which is not really the point and and i will say i don't really think like yeah there was suffering nitpicking but i would say of the three movies in the series this one follows the book even though it stops halfway through and the second movie is supposed to take have that second part and it there's a lot of plot stuff that does match up, but this is the one that most accurately goes with the books, but the author hated it so much he sued to try to get it stopped and lost the lawsuit. <laughs> um, but I would say, like, having done both, I'm like, I don't remember them being, like, so aggressively different. Like, there's ones right. that, like, the Black Cauldron movie. Mm-hmm. I love that book series, and that movie is so aggressively not even close to the books that that one I could see, yeah, please take the name off of it. There's nothing similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you run into that a lot with adaptations, mm. that the film needs to necessarily cut things out and necessarily change how things are interpreted because yeah. things make sense visually that wouldn't make sense in a book and things make sense in a book that wouldn't make but sense I will if say, you saw them. This one is the closest. The second one does have a lot of things that are same with the memory wishes and there's this whole thing about water and stuff. Third one, because the second book kind of gets to the end of what is the book plot, the third one is just the stupidest thing I've... Like, they should not have been trusted to write their own plot because it was... It was a thing. <laughs> it has young Jack Black in it as a bully, if Ooh. that gives you any ideas of how this... But... And then it ends off with the never-ending story. story. Anyway, on that final note, if you guys have nothing else... Oh, nope. oh my last thing is the the Childlike Empresses, her headband mm-hmm. thing... Oh, yeah. I wanted That's that so bad as a child. It's a good look. I, I still, there's a part of me that wants to go on like Etsy and find one and be like, I want to be a small elf-like creature <laughs> with a cool headband. <laughs> I would like take necklaces of my mom's mm-hmm. and like dangle them across my forehead so I had this like fantasy character headband. <laughs> you can probably buy those places now. Oh, no, you yeah, can. Yeah, maybe. Because they have ones that like look like either like that or like um, the elves from Lord of the Rings. They have these little oh, like, yeah, circlets. Yeah, yeah. It's, I guess a circlet is more what it's called. But I'm like, at the time, this was before it, like we had the internet. And so <laughs> I would just, I would make my own by putting a necklace across my forehead. <laughs> That's what jewelry is for. That's how necklaces are worn. Yeah, it, ha- it would have like a little dangly thing that would come to the center of my forehead. Fair head, like her little jewel she has, and I'm like, I yeah. look like a fantasy creature. <laughs> That's what I wanted to look like as a child. Did you call yourself to Moonchild too? No, but I Moon was like, Moonchild. <laughs> that was like the epitome of like beauty for me as a child. I was like, I want to look like the childlike empress. Now I think it is traditional. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's traditional in like uh, fancy dress for like Indian weddings or whatnot to do some sort of forehead. Uh, attire like that, that some a, jewelry that is a bindi it is different this is more like a crown circlet that's okay. just like um a little dot in the center of the no 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 not the. i've seen jewelry put in the center of the forehead before that is not the dot but i don't know I mean, what it's called do, i'm uneducated they do we don't have, have to jeweled cover it. bindis where it's more like a stone in okay. the center of the forehead instead of just the traditional red dot there are more formal bindis i All think right. it's bindis Emma's, or is that we have steve, gotten or is that track? steve Irwin's daughter we're, we're, we're going on to games. Our 
first game is the pitch game, where we slam together two or more properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film in terms of other things. You can get so, this. Oh, you starting can get with, with Sarah, what do you have? What is the never-ending story in terms of other properties? Because it is a fantasy epic with all sorts of variety of creatures meets a movie that deals with a young boy going on fantasy adventures involving books. It is The Lord of the Rings meets Pagemaster. Oh, uh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just go ahead with my first one. Since this is a child discovering a good book and ultimately affecting the narrative where the journey is more important than the destination, mm. and a movie where a student sloughing off his responsibilities for the day, doing whatever he pleases with ultimately no repercussions, also featuring meta-commentary breaking the fourth wall, this is Pagemaster meets Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I figured out the second one. Good. Well, nobody mm -hmm. took any of mine y yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, as both of you have mentioned, because this was a story told by reading a book and alternating between the story and real life, uh, and also it was a coming of age tale where the hero spends time in a frozen wasteland, meets an ancient mentor in a swamp, and ultimately has to face the truth of who he is inside, only to fail his mission and rely on the help of others to defeat the enemy. It is The Princess Bride meets Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I knew where that uh, was going once you said, like, training in the swamp. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yep. Yep, yep. Um, See, I was picturing, again, Lord of the Rings because of that swamp of sadness. Anyway, go ahead. Here's one that I bet you neither of you will have either of these. Because it is about a young boy going on an adventure to save his world where he meets up with a variety of strange people and creatures to help him, meets a... Um, a child who has the ability to affect, to go in and out of books and affects things within that book. This is Black Cauldron, specifically the book series. Sure. Meets Inkheart. Oh, I thought about Inkheart. That was on my list of things. I thought you were referencing Thursday next, though. Oh, no. Anywho. Although that one. Uh, Inkheart felt more the fantasy. Mm-hmm. All right. Since this is an epic trek across the fantasy land to save that world, involving the land's greatest warrior, epic steeds, and a race of tiny people, also featuring a white tower, evil black monsters, and slow-talking guides. Don't be racist. And um, a very meta movie where a story needs finishing, but doing so could end the world of its characters, but it is ultimately cited to change the ending so this doesn't happen. This is Lord of the Rings meets Stranger Than Fiction. I liked that movie. It was good. I think it's Will Ferrell's best role. I really liked it. I have never seen it, surprise. <gasps> we'll watch it. Not for this, but we'll no, watch not, it. No, not for this. Mark? All right. I Mork. have more. All right. <laughs> more from Mark. All right. So this is a fantasy story with a single protagonist racing against an evil force to preserve the future for all races, including large giants, tiny people, and even animals. And uh, a young boy picked on for being different is in a shop when he should be at school, meets a creepy old man and receives a rare item that sends him on adventures and changes his life. And the old man's name is Balthazar. 
It is <laughs> Princess Bride meets Sorcerer's Apprentice. Nope, nope, sorry, I did that one already. It's <laughs> Willow meets Sorcerer's okay. Apprentice. I was about to say, you already used the Princess Bride. I read it wrong, sorry. I'm out of order. But yes, I, I was thinking it was the Sorcerer's Apprentice. I did think of that one for, like, someone randomly walking into a store and, oh, suddenly you have a desk. Yeah, that was, like, the first uh, one that I thought of when I was, I was like, man, right? It's, you're it's you're just going into trope. a random shop yeah. and suddenly you have this big adventure. Although, this one might be the, because this was 84. When did Gremlins come out? Uh, Earlier or later? 80, I think it was 88. Yeah, okay. Gremlins was so later. This is, so this might have been the start of the Gremlin trope of, I've walked into a weird store and somehow my life has changed. Oh, no, that's, uh, I think that comes from, like, Arabic mythology. Well, yes, but I'm calling it the Gremlins trope. Fair enough. Because it sounds better. Uh, nope, I was way off with the year. Gremlins is from 1984. Okay, so they're about the same time. Yeah. Um, so my last one, so this one already, the first part already got used. Because it is a fantasy story involving reading a book and meets a children's movie based on a book series or book that caused me emotional crises as a child. <laughs> this is Princess Bride meets Return to Oz. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know we all use some of the same titles as I go to my final one. Since this is a movie where a story becomes reality with fantastic practical effects used in character design, featuring a warrior with an adorable steed and another that is large and loves rocks, and... A movie with multiple layers of narrative, one with a child reading a book for the entire day, and another in the world of the story, featuring a pit of despair, a bickering magical couple, and the child getting as he wishes at the end of the film. This is The Labyrinth meets The Princess Bride. Ludo! Rocks are friends! So, see, why couldn't you do that voice when you were reading The Rock Guy's That was not The Rock Guy's voice. I do have as close as she could get. I have a single movie, or not a movie, a single property. Oh, yes, you had two and a half. Yeah, it's not a full pitch game, but it's 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 a property where it's a young boy using fantasy world to escape reality and becomes the mightiest warrior in the land, saving it from its biggest threat. In the end, he is given a seed which will determine the future of the fantasy world and all who reside there, and that is from Sword Art Online. Uh, also kind of ready player one but yeah well what, what was sir didymus's steed oh gosh i don't know it was some i mean what's uh king arthur's steed what's his horse because like a lot of like those names yes are... what there you go ambrosius yes sir didymus's steed who is a dog yes is a dog riding another dog? No, Sir Didymus is a fox, I think. Oh, okay. He might okay. be a dog. I know. It's it's hard to tell. Anywho, <clears throat> we are going to move on to our he second game, which is alternate taglines. A word or phrase you would see on the movie poster for the film that describes the theme of the movie. Though for us, hopefully missing the point. So, Sarah, start us off. The never-ending story. It does end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I mentioned this offline before our listeners. I was unaware this thing had any sequels, so I removed it from my commentary. But I did have a note that said, this is a bold title for a movie that has no sequels. It has two. <laughs> Fair enough. But eventually, it does end. Anyway, mine is The NeverEnding Story. Be brave, but fear nothing. That's not funny. 
It's not. <laughs> I, that was the, there's a good one I wanted to do first. My taglines oh. are really long for tag. Although we didn't read the actual one that there was only one i could find and it was oh, pretty long please as go well. ahead i didn't look it up oh i sure didn't write it down it was oh, like great. it was something about um a young boy who needs a friend finds a world in need of a hero or something like that all right go with uh, your makeup up so that i'll try to Mine. find the tagline well, this one I didn't really like, but I'm going to say it anyway. In the land of Fantasia, the nothing is just as it seems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you were you were pretty much dead on with the tagline. It is never-ending story. A boy who needs a friend finds a world that needs a hero in a land beyond imagination. You got three, four, three, two-thirds I, of it. it, it yeah, three-fourths, two-thirds, same thing. <laughs> Some Go percentage. Ahead, <laughs> That's and she's way. gone. It? Sorry. Meh. Hello. That's number wing. Um, <laughs> 13 teen. Um, okay. My second one is the never ending story. Childhood depression. <laughs> wow. Now, is that the child in the film getting depressed or you getting depressed watching it as a child? Both. It's all of us. All of the above. Our tax. Uh, I, well, that leads into You're my next one, which is. The never-ending story. The best horse acting since Mr. Ed. Wilbur. Sarah is too busy playing with her jello. She to is pay mesmerized to by us. jello as if watching a lava lamp in the 70s. <laughs> I'm so tired. Okay. Well, well, that with that. Um all right. The never-ending story. When a great threat takes over an entire world, one young boy becomes a bastion of hope. You're welcome. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. The never-ending story. Books are cheaper than family therapy. <laughs> Sarah's going dark with her. Yeah, real dark with this one. Although uh, my final one has to do with how they started in the fantasy world. It is simply the never-ending story. Not all characters can be important. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so this is going to move us on to our third and final game, which is the TV Guide game. A description of the plot of the film you would find in a Netflix or TV Guide description, though for us possibly missing the point. Sarah, start us off here. What do you got? What is the plot of the Nevering story? Um, sorry, I just thought of another game, but I'll tell you about that later. Great. Um, <laughs> a bully child makes up a fantastic story to skip a math test. <laughs> Uh, so this is the story of a troubled youth who steals from a small business owner, skips class for the day, and stays out way past curfew, never once considering how this affects the people around him. Instead of repercussions, however, he gets everything he's ever wished for. You are so stuck on that. Yeah, he's... Yeah. That's really the only point he wants to make about this movie. Uh, he's a bad kid. Have we talked about this? Don't worry about it. It's fixed in the sequel. That's what you say. Have you never seen the second one? Uh, I have. It's been a long time. It's got Jonathan Brandis in it. Yeah, I remember that, but he's dead now. I don't remember who that is. He is dead. Uh, all right. So my first, are we, we're on the TV guide now, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The inhabitants of Fantasia discover that without the imagination of humans, they are nothing. While the nothing discovers that due to the imagination of humans, it becomes something. Ooh. Clever. Nice little duality there. All right. Last one for me. 
Yep. A large creature forced out of his home contributes to erosion. <laughs> All right, my final one. The christening of an empress leads the greatest warrior in the land on an epic quest across the world. Ultimately, all of his dangerous and emotionally draining exploits gain him nothing, and he is revealed to be just a pawn of the Empress, so she could manipulate someone else to saving the world for him. Yep, it's pretty it much little, the story. I said it before, but it's Wizard of Oz logic. She's the, the Glinda. Alright, and my final one. A young hooligan steals a special book from an old man, skips school to unlock its secrets, and uses his newfound knowledge to terrify the town. <laughs> now, now you made fun of I, mine. Sarah made fun of yours. <laughs> All right. I agreed with you. All right, fair enough. Uh, all right, so let's go on to reviews. Oops. First review scale is, of course, our infamous potato scale, which I have to look up. So I I looked at these earlier, and I had a hard time quantifying this movie. All right. I, I think one should be fairly obvious, but we will get into it. Who would like to start what is the never-ending story in terms of potatoes? I had a lot of potatoes. <laughs> How many potatoes? I got four potatoes. That's a lot of potatoes. I might have to limit you to three. We've only done three before. No, I got to do all four. (sighs) I thought we were limited in it to two for a while. No, I get as many potatoes as I want. Oh, you're (laughs) Bastion now, right? You get as many wishes as you want. Uh Uh-huh. So my potatoes, starting from the top, Mm -hmm. are black potatoes, because obviously... Yeah. There are some, like, for children stuff, people basically attempt suicide. They, a horse attempts, well, a, a, horse, a, a does, horse attempts suicide. <laughs> a horse does commit suicide. <laughs> like, it's pretty, like, dark and sad and ridiculous. Um, My second one is gold potato, because mm. ignoring the terrible last scene that I hate, like, Bastion flying over Fantasia and everything's back and he's like, woo! That's a pretty, like, fist pump moment until he goes into the bullies and we don't talk about that scene. Um, Mashed potatoes, because for me, this was one of my favorite movies as a child. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still get that, like, oh, this movie, it reminds me of being little and blonde. Um, I used to be a blonde. And then my last one is, it's not quite my favoritest movie, but it's almost there. So Steak and Shake Reds. All right. So I am going to repeat some of those. Uh, So I think for some of the reasons you said, some of the reasons I've said throughout this, I think black and blue potatoes certainly fit this film. There are a lot of depressing moments, which is the adult downer of blue potatoes, but also some troubling issues with Bastion uh, and uh, some characters deciding to commit suicide. Um, and just losing so many friends over the course of a journey. And so the black potato certainly gets in there as well. But yeah, before you mentioned it, I was thinking this is a pretty good movie. This will be reflected in my number scares, certainly, but I could see this being not quite the best, but definitely a second place level of film. And so I'm going to go Steak and Shake as well. So black, blue, and Steak and Shake are mine. (laughs) So, Mark, what do you got? Well, going last here, I have nothing to say because everyone already took mine. So, mm-hmm. um, for all of the reasons that everyone already said, I just agree with uh, with all of you. I yeah, just I do remember 
I feel like I liked this more as a kid than I do now, but it's definitely a movie that is worth watching and it's enjoyable. Uh, other than the depressing parts, it's enjoyable, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the depressing parts serve the purpose in the story. So it, that, that's what makes it a good story. Um, so I do, I do agree. There's the troubling issues and it can be depressing adult downer. So the black and blue, I have trouble putting it into a second place category actually, as much as I like it. Um, so I don't know that I would give it steak and shake, but there isn't, we don't, we do not have a bronze. Yeah. We don't really have a third place potato. So I guess I'm just sticking with black and blue. Maybe I just thought of another (laughs) potato, not to give this movie, but just another thing to put on the potato list. Uh, A bronzed potato. Yes. Oh, good. I don't know if that's a yes, thing, but it, it sounds it like it could Dutch be a thing. Dutch frites. The, the ah. <laughs> no, no. I, I see I Sarah adding anyway. new potatoes to our don't list. Worry. Hash bronzed. So no, I the black and blue definitely it's depressing, but it is also a great movie that's worth watching. I just it uh we don't have a potato for it, so I don't know what to say. All right, fair All right. enough. So let's go on to our other rating scale, which is a number scale telling our listeners should they go back and watch this film on the scale from zero to ten. So what do you guys have? Where would you put Never Ending Story? I gave it a nine point. I changed mine throughout the course of this. I gave it a oh 9.35. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Very specific. Mainly the things that I that knocked it down a little is one that that ending scene is just a problem for me. It should have been cut off about three minutes earlier, and it would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for me, having read the book, some of and and some of the things that got left out, I feel like were a little more important and should have stayed in some capacity. And also, some of those things that got left out for technical reasons, they didn't fix the transitions as much as mm-hmm. I wish they would have. But really, all of those, except for that ending scene, are nitpicks, and they just bring it down a little. I still really love this movie. And it's hard when I have so many movies. Like, if you look at my things, I have all of these movies that I really, really love. And they're all, like, weird versions of nine point something. Because I'm like, these are all 9.5 movies, but they gotta be kind of different from each other. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why it's a weird 9.35. Well, yeah, we we don't necessarily split into genres or You're, whatnot. You said to I wasn't allowed why they're good. to give things above a ten anymore, and it's really thrown me off. Yeah, it's because you were rating some things at twelves, which yeah. really throws <laughs> off our rating scale. They deserve it. <laughs> Anywho, um, so we're crystal scientists. I'm our rating scale means nothing. I am not a crystal scientist. I've never claimed to be a crystal scientist. <laughs> anyway. Um, So my review is definitely going to be up there. I enjoyed watching this film, and it was my first time seeing it because I'd never seen this as a child. Uh, So I didn't have the nostalgia for it. This was a first watch for our listeners that have never seen this film. Uh, Where I land on the rating scale is high, but certainly not as high as Sarah. Uh, The thing that bothered me the most is I couldn't hear the mom's name. And the mom's name is so important to this narrative. And if you can't hear it, you don't know what the empress name is. They say it exactly one time, and it is illegible. Uh, inaudible. And for all we know, it's not actually the mom's name. He changed his mind somewhere in the middle of that and went, screw my mom, I'm giving it something else. Right. 
So I would agree that some of the, the scene changes need work. I think that Deus Ex Machina of having Falcor fly in for the journey yeah. instead of something the character decides. I'm going to dock for that. Yeah, um, which was a scene transition. It's really hard that... to watch a horse die. So, I mean, be prepared for that. Uh, but it's overall a good and I would say even pretty great film, though definitely not one of my favorites. So I'm going to go for a solid eight. It's up there, but not the highest. Well, and to be fair, they don't actually show the horse dying. It's sinking into the swamp, and then they cut to the next scene with Atreyu crying in the swamps. Oh, but the horse definitely and Speaking dead. of which, I did find an article where some people were wondering how it is that Atreyu survived the swamps after his horse dies, and he doesn't sink into them due to the sadness of the horse dying. And apparently, again, the book explains it as the Empress and the Arun are protecting him Orin. and giving him Orin? yes sure whatever they're giving him like this special ability to survive through those things so he's being protected even though that sadness is really affecting him they can't let the Orin fall in the swamp they'll never find it it's very important he did drop it's it on the at cover one of the point book. yeah but falcor finds it in the sea because yep. apparently dragons can swim sure obviously he so scales, i like a fish um actually forgot to even think about a number scale but <laughs> this has i mean ever since i saw it as a kid i used to really like it uh back then and i still i was excited that we got All to watch it again now ago. and i actually watched it i think three times before <laughs> between when we picked it and when we are recording this so um it did not get worse out of any of those times it was just me finding new details to think about so um i think it is definitely worth watching if you have never seen it if you have seen it then it's worth watching it again uh so i would definitely rate high on the scale i will go in between you two and just give it an even nine and not worry about the decimal points very nice all right so at we are getting towards the end of our episode. Sarah, can you tell people where to find us online if they choose to do so? You can find us at Retrograding Podcast on Facebook. You can find each other at Retrograding Party Line. Our website is retrograding.fireside.fm, and we are also on iTunes. Give us a like, review, share. I couldn't come up with anything All else clever. of the above. Yes. Uh, our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her on SoundCloud at Dominique A. Barnes if you'd like to contact her or know more. So this is going to close out our episode with our final segment. Guys, I learned something today. Did you remember uh, something today? Sorry? Did you remember to come up with a lesson today? I came up with one as we were talking. <laughs> Good job. So there's something that... I learned from this film that I'd like to share with all of you out there listening. And it's simply, a lot of people tell you to stay in school, kids. But this movie teaches you, you don't have to, and you can still get everything you've ever wished for. So if you don't feel like going to school, just don't do it. And it works out fine. All right. That's going to close out this episode of Retrograding. (laughs) I will catch you guys next time. (laughs) 